Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Mean Old Lion Media presents the history of being black. What up, though? What up, though? Welcome to the History of Being Black podcast. I'm Jay Hall. I'm here. How are you today? What's going on? Hope everything is going good with you. It is now officially March. It's March. And I don't know about you, but it feels like to me, there's been something going on every single week of 2023. Not as dramatic as the 2020s. You know, if you've been listening to the show, I'm always talking about how every year has been a 2020 sequel. So I'm not going to over-exaggerate and say it's been a, you know, a tragedy every single week, but it's just been something every single week. And I just want to talk about what happened, you know, this past, I would say this weekend. Two cultural moments happened this past weekend. And when you hear this, you're going to know what weekend I'm talking about. Creed 3 was first. And I'm on record for saying that Creed franchise is my favorite franchise ever since the Fast and Furious became too much about family and one-liners and just became ridiculous with adding missiles on top of the cars and cars on parachutes and Vin Diesel acting as if it has to be this multi-culture, everything but black type of situation going on all the time. I just really kind of fell off. Now, I am going to probably go see Fast X, but it's just to see how all of this is going to come to an end. It's not for anything else serious. But the Creed franchise is one that has always stuck with me a little bit from the, the moment Creed 1 came out. The story intrigued me. In Creed 1, the first five seconds, if you've seen the movie, and I hope I'm not giving a spoiler, and if not, then it's up bricks. The movie came out in 2015. But it starts off in 1998, and we're introduced to a young kid named Adonis. And that resonated with me because in 1998, my friend, one of my good friends named Adonis, was murdered. And so off top, at first I went to go see this movie because I'm, I'm a friend of the franchise, but the movie had my attention off top. And as you know, Adonis Creed is the son of Apollo Creed, one of the best antagonist villains slash in movie history, featuring Carl Weathers, who is pretty much the black man of the 80s, you know, before Wesley Snipes in the 90s, you know, they... It was like one black man at a time at one period of point, and Carl Weathers was that guy. And his story about the fact that he never knew his father, his father died, and the complications of his relationship with his father of the past, and trying to walk also in his shadow because he has an interest in boxing. And he goes to Rocky, Rocky trains him, you know, it becomes a movie. Some people felt a certain type of way about Creed too. I actually like Creed too. Me and a good friend was having a like a, somewhat of a debate about it. He felt Creed 2 was lacking because he didn't want to hear that much about Drago. But I said, I think the reason why in Creed 2, you're looking more on the white characters, the Russian who came back from Rocky IV, who killed Apollo Creed, came back with his son for revenge to fight against Adonis Creed. I think the reason why you're looking at that is because they were more visible. But Adonis Creed, played by Michael B. Jordan, was struggling with his father also. And the one I liked about Creed 2 is that it 
it kind of showed the imagery of how sometimes fathers use their sons as tools to overcome things or to achieve things that they couldn't they couldn't do. And when they're doing that, they're not necessarily developing a nurturing relationship with their sons. So even if the father is in the child's life, in the son's life, there's no compassion within the two. It's more like a duty. And you're training another you so that when you leave this earth, another you can go do the things that you wanted to do. And I like that complexity that Creed too. So I'm just a a fan, you know? And so hearing off top that Jonathan Majors was going to be part of Creed 3, I was excited because I've been watching Jonathan Majors since the first film I saw him in. It was a TV show series. I thought it was called When We Rise, where he played this um, gay black activist. And I can't remember the gentleman's name that he played. It was real life, but he played the younger version of him. And rest in peace to Omar from The Wire, Michael K. Williams played the character as an adult or as an older version. And Jonathan Majors played the character as a younger version. And I just thought his acting was dope then. Of course, I went on to watch him like everybody else. When he was a Lovecraft country and, you know, all these other films. He was in the Five Bloods. You know, just, just a dope, versatile actor. And so hearing that he was going to be in Creed 3, I was excited for it because in Creed, the one thing I would say is that the villains or the antagonists haven't necessarily been someone that you really are kind of excited for. In Creed 1, you can argue that the antagonist was not visible. It was his father. In Creed 2, it's his father. <laughs> you know, it might look like it was Drago, but it was really his father. But we really needed a villain that, you know, we can kind of look at and cheer or might we might cheer for or be afraid of or hate or whatever. And that's who Jonathan Majors was in Creed 3. And the movie came out, and as you know, by this time, it has been commercially successful. I'm not going to spoil it, spoil it, but I will say it's dealing with Adonis Creed and the homies that you had when you were on your come up and how we as Black men and Black people always feel as if we have to do something for those who knew us before we had it. And you don't have to have as much money as a famous boxer, but you could just be someone who moved to the suburbs one one mile away from your major city or your 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 poverty line, just one mile away. And you feel as if there's some sort of obligation you have to do back. And it it, it feels as if we're the only ones who have to live like that, or, or at least it feels like it weighs on us a little bit heavier. And so when Creed 3 came out and I went to go see it in the theater, I was I was blown away. I mean, it really is a solid movie, you know? Um, it's better than two. That doesn't mean I changed my mind on two. I still think two is a good movie. But Creed 3 is a great film. And dealing in that relationship, because I just like what Michael B. Jordan, who directed this one, is, is going in it. And I like the relationship it shows with brothers of how we come up on the streets, how we form our relationships. Because when we say we're brothers, we're, it's for real. It ain't necessarily, it's blood don't have nothing to do with it. Look, for some of you, if someone's not your blood, they're just someone you've been knowing your, your whole life and you casually call them cousin or, or brother. Me, where I'm from and how I was raised, there are relatives I have in my life. I don't even know how they're related to me. And if I had the nerve to ask my grandmother how we was related, I probably got backhanded. It was considered disrespectful. It was considered something that you just didn't do. They were family. Because my grandmother would tell you all the time, blood just means we're related. Family is who we are. And when I saw Creed 3, a lot of that resonated with me in that. 
And then for me, I felt like we all went to go see it. And it felt like a good cultural moment. I mean, some of the interviews I saw with Michael B. Jordan having on podcasts and, you know, interviews and things of that nature. And some of the conversations people were having with Jonathan Majors, you know, and just brotherly love and the photos that were taken with them and everything like that. And what it sparked with people, with seeing their relationship and seeing them admire each other and what it sparked with this whole toxic masculinity thing with men or people being upset. And we were already upset at, you know, not we, but there were people who are already upset at the Rihanna Gold cover. And now you have said that two men showing affection for each other as a champion for one another. And I was watching Michael B. Jordan get his Hollywood star. And I was watching Jonathan Major's speech. And he talked about how him and Michael B. Jordan were in a hotel room during the filming of Creed 3. And they were having like a three-hour conversation. And they just said to each other, hey, yo, let's be friends. And they, I think he said, Michael said it to him. And he said, yeah, let's, let's be friends. And I said to myself, like, man, yo, we can really see their relationship developing. You know? And I mean, I'm really rooting for them two to be friends. Like, I like the relationship of Michael B. Jordan and Ryan Cougar and all of that. But I like to see brothers become friends. I mean, we're always talking about couples. And, you know, everyone's like, yo, you know, uh, power couple goals or whatever, whatever the latest hashtag may be. But how often do we get a chance to really talk about relationships and friendships and being like, yo, I want to, I think that's a genuine thing. And, And it's not on some, let's look good together and let's put on some nice clothes and pop bottles so we can have a whole bunch of likes. Nah, it's it's nothing that. It's a real genuine, we're both actors and we both appreciate this craft. And you know what? Let's let's, let's have a friendship, if nothing else, so we can continue this. I mean, it would remind me, if you know your history, of about Denzel Washington and Spike Lee when they would make a movie. You know, you can feel the, the respect and admiration they have for one another in their films. And then when they were talking interviews when I was growing up as a kid. And I always admired seeing it, especially amongst Black men, because we don't get a chance to really see that. And so to see a lot of individuals who feel a certain type of way because Jonathan Majors may have his arm around him or embracing him and like that, it just goes to show you how much a lot of growing up we got to do. You know, when you hear gentlemen talk amongst each other, I'll watch podcasts and a man got every time he say a sentence, a Black man got to say pause every three sentences. And it's like, yo, what are we doing? (laughs) Like, seriously. To quote the great Jamil Hill, like, the black man can't do nothing without being judged. It's like, yo, what are we doing? You mean to me, we can't even have a conversation amongst each other in a barbershop at home, and we got to pause every four or five minutes? Man, come on, yo. I just feel like Creed Three is one of the beginning movies, or arts, I would say, that is starting to challenge that envelope of what does it mean to have love for your fellow brother, like real love for your fellow brother. And I'm, I would like this, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I don't really like to use this word a lot, but I'm, I'm hoping, or I would say I wish for this to be something that can, we can see more of. It's kind of like, I always wanted Barack Obama to be our first black president, but I didn't want him to be our, I don't want him to be our best. I want to see more black presidents. I want to see more films and more art that is pushing the envelope of a black man amongst each other developing good, healthy relationships. 
And it don't have to be about no flash. And, and I like to see it on screen and I like to see it off screen. And I feel like it's a cultural moment that happened. That's the one. The second cultural moment, I have to give it to you, have to be Chris Rock, Selective Outrage. That special came out this, the same weekend, right? Came out the same weekend. And it was live on Netflix, which is different because usually Netflix, I think Netflix has never done a, a live event, especially not comedy. And I'm not sure if Chris Rock has ever done a live event, like a live one. I'm not positive. I, I could be wrong. I'm not, I'm not sure because there's something different about live events when you're doing comedy because p- people may not know this, but even when they're on stage and there's a man talking with a mic or a woman talking with a mic, there's production in that. There's direction. There's all of that. There's editing. There's, there's all of that in that. And so Chris wanted to do live. And, as, you know, we all knew what we came here for. You know, he was already on tour during or even before the infamous slap of Will Smith slapping him at the Oscars for him making a joke on Jada Pickett. And we were already in that. You know, he was already on tour for that. So when he got slapped, he added it to his tour. He added it to his work. He had been working material in within his set. And so I'm watching Selective Outrage, and it, there's some points that's good. There's some points that's, that's, you know, whatever. And I'll be honest with you. This is no BS at all. I really don't watch comedy shows and really laugh. Like, all the legendary comedy specials, it's only been very a handful of times I really laugh because I'm so into what they're saying and trying to grasp what they're talking about that I don't, I, I don't even laugh. I, I'm just so engaged. And this is how I was with Selective Outrage with Chris Rock. I was so engaged that the jokes... I mean, honestly, when I'm finished talking, I'm actually probably going to watch it again for actual enjoyment to see if I'm actually going to laugh. But there were some good moments in there. It was some good moments in there, and there were some moments in there people weren't tripping about. And I was watching Twitter as Selective Outrage was on. And it's interesting to me how we've entered this place as an audience where we watch things sometimes with the intention of, 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 of shooting it down. Like Chris Rock has been around for like almost 30 years now. You're either a fan of Chris Rock at this point or you're not. I don't understand anybody watching some of these people that's been around for a long time when you don't like them. I don't. Look, I used to work in a record store back home in Detroit and I'll never forget <laughs> somebody would come in and be like, hey, how that new Janet Jackson sound? I'd be like, yo, Janet, this sounded the same for decades. At this point, you either like Janet Jackson or you don't. Like, it's not, she's not about to start singing like Whitney Houston, you know? So it's like, they're like, well, you know, is she singing on there? I'm like, Whitney, you ever heard her really like singing, singing, singing on, on, on the album, you know? That's how I feel about watching Chris Rock. And someone wrote something on Twitter that I didn't necessarily think about until I read this. And I can't remember the individual's name, so please forgive me. But they stated, we've really been divided as a community as far as our opinion of that slap. And I was like, yo, they're right. Because, of course, there were people who feel like Chris Rock deserved it. I've seen women talking about, this is what we're talking about. He's been punching down on black women for years. Don't get mad at a black man for defending his wife. Then I saw people talking about, yo, you know, he's getting bullied. That's not fair. And Will Smith was a punk. Let me tell you why I stand on that. See, there are things I feel like that, should, that, that, that come together for me. First, 
I had read Will Smith's book, Will. And in Will Smith's book, he talks about, and he's very honest, how he's been a coward. It's the theme throughout the entire book. He's been a coward. He didn't necessarily speak up when his father was beating his mother. He was always somebody that knew how to put on a mask so he could entertain people. And he's been a coward. He even talks about how when rappers would criticize him for being a punk and this and this, that they were actually right. So when I saw him go up and slap Chris Rock, for me, after just finishing his book, what I saw of that was a person had the straw that broke the camel's back. He just had enough. He literally just had enough. And if anybody would have had anything to say. And what I saw on that was a human being who had reached, their, reached his limit. That's what I saw. And I hate that Chris had to be the person to be the victim of that. Fast forward, I'm watching Selective Outrage. It's like a trilogy for me to all come together because I'm seeing what Chris has to say. And I'm seeing Chris is, to his credit, he's walking this slowly. I mean, if you haven't seen this special yet, Chris is walking it slowly. But he's also giving you teases throughout the special to let you know he's going to talk about it because he'll say something like, the last thing I need is beef from another rapper. And you was like, okay, okay. Are you about to go into it now? He talks about his his love that he has for Will. He talks about how how he felt how he felt about Will beforehand. How he's always felt about Will. And he talked about when people say, "Yo, did the slap hurt?" He said it still hurt. He even says he got summertime ringing in his head. But the thing is, is that he's he's speaking from a hurt place, and I don't like the idea, if I can say this on the side, of the attitude. And this is where it comparison of Creed. I don't like the idea of telling somebody they should just be over it. I don't like that idea. It comparison to Creed is you ain't heard when Michael B. Jordan was on the red carpet, a reporter, her name is L'Oreal. I don't know why everybody kept calling her a reporter. She has a morning show. <laughs> she's she's been doing her thing for a little second. And apparently she went to school with Michael B. Jordan. And Michael B. Jordan was like, Oh yeah, I'm the corny guy, right? After she was giving him praise. And she was like, No, I wasn't the one that said you was corny. I talked about your name because she went to school with him for like one year. Then there was some receipts that got pulled up where she was on a podcast. And I promise you I'll get back to Chris real soon. She was on a podcast with another on-air personality named Dominique the Diva. And Dominique Diva was the one who was talking about that Chris, um, that Michael B. Jordan was corny or he could be, he was a corny guy. L'Oreal was talking about how they just tease him by his name. But either the way, he had something to say. And there were people who were on some like, he should get over that or he should go see therapy. Listen, even when you go tell somebody to go see therapy, you're still being dismissive. And who are we to tell somebody how they should feel about something? Who are we to tell somebody how things resonate with them? And as long as they're not nasty, I mean, he wasn't nasty, you know, but you can't go around saying things publicly or being a part of saying things publicly and don't expect to get confronted about it. Like, don't tell somebody else to lay down. But here's the thing where I'm getting to when it comes to Chris Rock. There is this attitude, especially amongst black men, that they're just supposed to take it. That they're just supposed to take, 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 take. And that they do have something to say, they're supposed to be a gentleman about it. Like, yeah, Chris, he didn't mention Jada's name. He respected Will Smith by keeping Jada's name out of his mouth. He also called her the B word in her hometown of Baltimore, mind you. People might say that that wasn't classy, but... I'm not going to lie to you. As much as I advocate for the treatment 
the better treatment of black women. I'm a work in progress. I'm a human being. And I'm not going to lie to you. You harm me? No pun intended. I got a little Tupac in me. It's F you and everybody that's with you. I, I lose it. And to Chris's credit, he got slapped in front of a national audience, in front of a people who were at the Academy Awards and people who were on TV. That is going to replay over and over again in the social media era. It's going to replay over and over again. It's going to be joked over and over again. I ain't going to lie to you. I was kind of surprised that he said as little as he said. And he brought up something very much so interesting about Will Smith's selective outrage, how all the rappers had things to say about him, but yet he was the one that got slapped because he knew he could beat him. And you know what? There's some truth to that. Yeah, I do feel like Will was at a point, according to his book, where he felt like he wanted to start living his truth, and he was at a very sensitive time. But at the end of the day, you did choose to go do that to someone that you're twice the size of. I mean, I don't know if you'd have did that to somebody your same size. I don't know if you even would have did that to somebody like a Denzel Washington or another comedian that's like six foot four or something like that. I'm not, I'm just saying I'm not quite sure, but maybe you would have. Maybe he would have, right? Maybe he would have. I mean, it was just a bad thing overall. I didn't necessarily take sides, to be honest with you. But in the comedy special, there were individuals that were saying that Chris Rock is sounding like an old man and Chris Rock is... Is trying to be, you know, in the 90s. And some of the criticism that I read, it don't even seem like people really watched the special. It doesn't even seem like people actually was paying attention. It really just seems like people were just reading off what someone else was reading off Twitter and going by a couple of highlight reels that they saw online. And it just got me to asking myself, do people really watch things now? Do they, is, is objectivity lost? Are we able to objectively watch something and say, oh, okay, I get it? Or do we already go in there with our confirmation bias attitude and then the moment we hear something that we were looking to hear that we don't like, we rocking with that? Is that what it is? Is that what it is? Does the word bitch just knock everybody out the way? Where if you hear it, it doesn't matter who got hurt before that word and why that word came out because once you hear that word, it doesn't matter. Or are you someone that when you're hurt, you say it and it don't matter to you? Like, I'm really trying to understand where we at as a society right now when it comes to how we view things. Look, I'm not trying to say that you should like a Chris Rock special. I saw people talking about it was the greatest special of all time. And I'm like, no, because I'll be honest with you. I think the special we had before this one, I felt like that special was probably like one of his best specials of all time. Even I will argue with you even better than Bigger and Blacker some of his classics. I would tell you, I feel like that special was better because it was a human quality that he had in it. Talk about his recent divorce, how he messed up. It was a lot in that. This one I just thought was executed well. I thought it was good. But again, I don't necessarily give the biggest analysis when it comes to comedy special because I am somebody who got to watch them more than once. I mean, I wrote an article called Why Dave Chappelle is Doing His Job about Dave Chappelle's last comedy special only after I watched that special like five times. I'm just that kind of person. I don't like to make snappy reactions because I don't feel like it's genuine. I feel like things, certain things got to sit in your head for a second if you look at it from an objective point of view. And when I notice that and I see Chris and I see his face and I hear him and I hear what he has to say about Will and the argument he's making, yo, even though he's getting laughs, he's still hurt. 
Like, I'm looking at that, and I'm like, yo, he's still hurt. And I'm low-key kind of feeling hurt for him because even in the criticism that I'm seeing or reading about people who are like, oh, he's like an old man. He made fun of trans people. And no, he didn't. If you if you watch it and you hear what the joke constructed as, he didn't. He didn't punch down on black women and praise Kardashian. If you think that what the joke that he was saying about the Kardashian was a praise, you really was not paying attention. That was not a compliment. And you have to watch it to understand where I'm going with this. But just trust me, it was not a compliment. I'm just stating that. But here's the thing. I feel like all of that comes from confirmation bias. I feel like all of that comes from people who already felt and drew the line in the sand and took sides how they took. I'm hearing people saying, well, he's been obsessed with Jada for years. He's been wanting her for years. Where is that documented? Like, where is that documented? I don't know. And why do we always feel like we know these celebs? Why do we always feel like we know them, know them? I don't got any red table talks they may or may not have. We don't know them, yo. I'm only going to rock for any slip so far besides you giving me a good film. When I see that and I see what Chris was saying, I'm like, yo, this brother still hurt. I'm, I, my wish, I, I'm hoping he's still in therapy. I mean, I'm hoping he's in therapy. It, I, I think he spoke about being in therapy. Hoping he's still in therapy dealing with this because I still see someone that's hurt. I'm hoping Will is deep in therapy and not the therapy that's catering to him, that's pandering him. Oh, Will is like in therapy for what he did because he snapped on national television. Will was completely wrong. And if you want to say that Chris was completely wrong for cracking on Jada Pickett, yeah, he was wrong, but he's also a comedian. Comedian's going to be wrong. And I'm not dismissing it in that kind of way and making careless. I'm just saying wrong is wrong. It's his job. But the thing about being a comedian is that a lot of times you don't know the line that you pushed or you went too far until you actually go. There are some who feel as if comedians from the 90s or from the early 2000s, like the Chris Rocks and Dave Chappelle, that they're stuck in their ways, that they're stuck on feeling a certain type of way. But we all are kind of stuck in some form of fashion. I think as you grow, you become more in knowing who you are. And because you become more about who you are, you become a little bit more confident in giving your perspective. So a lot of artists, they actually become better at their craft the older that they get. I used to work at a radio station in Fort Wayne, Indiana. It was a hip-hop station. But next door to me, the studio next, was a country station. And me and my man Travis, shout out to my guy Travis, we used to be on air at the same time. And Travis, we used to talk about how country music and hip-hop music kind of has similarities. One, you know, country music can be seen as like an outcast of its genre. It, they sell a lot of records and really sometimes get the credit. But the one thing that he was saying that in there, in that genre at that time, that has to be is that the older you are, the more appreciative you are because they feel as if you have to have life experience in order to make good music. So if you're young and you, like a Taylor Swift was at that time, he was saying a lot of traditional country artists really wasn't rocking with Taylor Swift because she was so young. So what are you talking about breakup? We want to hear about divorce and three kids and don't got money for college, which is the reverse kind of in hip hop. I think we're kind of in our culture leaning more towards that maybe now, but not as heavy. When it comes to the Chris Rocks of the world and Dave Chappelle's of the world and any other comedian that's had a voice for the past couple of decades, what we're seeing is them being more sure about who they are. I think there's some things that they've evolved but I hate to tell you this, but newsflash, there's going to be some things you that you're not going to quite evolve on. I've evolved a lot. I've evolved since this morning. 
But when I die, there's still going to be some things that I have not evolved on. There's going to be something that you're just going to stand on. The reason why I feel as if the Chris Rock and the Creed 3 film premiered this past weekend on the same weekend is so significant because I feel like it shows that we don't all have to stay in one place. There was a time where a movie or a film, an art that came out, and if it was Black, we all had to get behind it, and we had to wait on the next Black whatever it was. This past weekend was two Black expressions of art from two different directions, two different types of categories, but both about Black men. And if you didn't like one, you had an option for another. And on a low low, Marlon Wayans had a comedy special that I didn't watch at first until a friend told me to. And it was called God Loves Me. And it was based all on the whole Chris Rock and Jada Pickett thing. <laughs> that came out too. And that's a different type of black excellence. It's a black excellence because it's options. It's variety. It's us on the spectrum. It's us showcasing our emotions more about just us having to be one way. Creed you can call it a boxing movie, but it's way more than just about boxing. Boxing is a metaphor. It's about how we fight for our identity when it comes to us as men. How we fight for ourselves when it comes to how we feel and our emotions and how we're affected and how we deal with it and how we work through. How we fight the world that's always trying to tell us how we should act and how we should perform when tragedy happens with us. How is it? Am I only acceptable because of how much I should take? And if I release, say something, or feel a certain type of way, then all of a sudden I am not a man anymore, no matter what harm that was done to me. But also, on the other side of that, does that give me the right? Do I have it coming? Does all of the actions I've done for years and years and years, do they come to this moment and this is the reason why I'm receiving what I'm receiving? Is there accountability on my end also too? Of course there is. Of course there is. But I would like to see a world where we become more of a community, more of a community of these type of grace, of this type of grace, more of an understanding of a community of this type of grace, where we could all kind of look at each other and be like, take a Chris Rock, take a Will Smith, and sit them both down. And we don't have to take sides on that. It's like seeing your two nephews fighting Thanksgiving. You sit them both down. You tell them they both was wrong. I don't understand how everything has to be so territorial. Why it got to be you, you feel like this or you feel like that. Yo, Michael B. Jordan, Jonathan Majors, man, them ninjas are gay. You either, you, you either one of them, you know, new soft dudes, like somebody wrote underneath my comment section, <laughs> or you somebody that's advocating for this new agenda. Yeah, homie, I do got an agenda. My agenda is I'm going to see black men live for a long time. And besides guns, that's killing us. You know what else that's killing us besides, I don't know, diabetes and heart attacks? Suicide. Yeah. Suicide rate has increased amongst black people since 2020. I can't remember the percentage right now. I've said it in the past episode before, but it's increased at an alarming percentage. Suicide, man. There's multitude of reasons why somebody would want to take their own life. But I can probably bet that one of the reasons that some of these brothers are taking their lives is because they feel like they don't add up to this idea of what a man is supposed to be. 
this social construct of what a black man is supposed to be, this strong figure that you're supposed to be all the time, who does not make mistakes, this provider. And if you don't provide to a certain level, then you are not a man. If you're not carrying the financial burden, if you're not carrying all of the hardships of the world, then you are not a man. If you're not walking in front, then you are not a man. Where we at right now, yo? Brothers is dying. Brothers is dying because of the pressure of this. Brothers is dying because of the heartache of this. Brothers is dying violently because one person got to feel like they're more of a man than the next person. So someone got to pull out their gun and shoot the person in front of them, the brother that looks just like them. How many of us got to die before we actually come to this understanding that, yo, all of this stuff was just created by someone who died a long time ago and we just kept on advocating for it. So when I see films like Creed 3, it makes me a little bit more, that word I kind of stay away from, but it makes me a little bit more hopeful that there is some strides being made for a lot of us to kind of turn this attitude around, to kind of evolve into a different type of man, a man of our own standards, not the standards that someone else set. I don't have to lift a thousand weights. I don't got to go around barking and slapping somebody if they don't listen to me. I can evolve into somebody that's different and protection don't have to look like me putting somebody in the headlock. And I can be hurt. I can be hurt. I can express my hurt and I can be angry and people can look at that and they can, they can see that Chris Rock is in his fifties and that man is still hurt. He is. And you can have your criticism about it and that's fine. All that is okay. Cause I'm not necessarily sure how I feel about quote unquote selective outrage. But what I can tell you is that when I see that man, I see him holding that microphone and he's expressing what he feel about it. We're quote unquote laughing. He still hurt. Still. Even talking about it. I'm not sure anybody is deserving of that. I'm not. And listen, I say this as someone who's working on myself. Because when I'm hurt, I'm not sure. So as we move forward, when I think about these two pieces that came out this past weekend, not only would I like to see two pieces or more art reflections of this that's pushing the envelope, that's dismissing the argument of this somewhat caveman type attitude that us as black men need to carry. When I see a lot of this newer approach to our manhood, reflections of our manhood and what it can be, when I'm seeing that, I'm feeling a little bit more a little bit more hopeful. There, I said it again. And my wish is that we keep pushing for that. And my wish is that we create a community where we can have this empathy and this understanding of it all on all these different layers. That's my word to you. That's where we at. This has been another episode of the History of Being Black podcast. You can always catch me at all social media platforms at JL Society. 
You can always catch these episodes on Spotify, Apple Music. You can hit me on my link, and you can always find the latest episode of the History of Being Black podcast. As usual, you be blessed, you be successful. Talk to you soon. The History of Being Black is hosted by Jay Hall, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast. Find the History of Being Black podcast on IG at The History of Being Black. Follow the Mean O'Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mean O'Line Media. Get the Mean O'Line Media app in the App Store or on Google Play. The History of Being Black podcast is a Mean O'Line Media production. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.